0: Take your Bibles, if you will, turn it to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. I've heard that people on an airplane and people sitting in a pew have a lot in common. Both are on a journey and both want to get there without being disturbed too awful much. Sometimes if you walk into a church sanctuary and look at the faces, you will see a myriad of, of expressions. Wednesday nights, I can see a lot of weariness and tiredness. You know, that doesn't disturb me. I'm appreciative of anyone that's willing to come despite being just a little tired. Sometimes you can see some... Uh, what I would say, uh, uh, maybe frustration or, or muddled anger. You just think something's happened today that has not gone well for them. But by and large, oftentimes, not just here, but everywhere, you will see from time to time that blank stare. Now I know if I'm gone late, it starts popping up more and more, okay? And uh, you try hard, and I try not to bring the messages that I've entitled. I have this whole series on cure for insomnia, all right? And I try not to bring those out too often. But I think sometimes we come in and we have that glassy-eyed look. And I said this the other day, it's interesting. Sometimes I think in the different books that we're studying, we come across the same themes and same ideas and same principles. And we're tempted to find something different but I would rather say the same thing twice if that's where we are in our preaching. That tells me I need to hear it twice, and probably I'm not the only one. But When we come to worship, we can't have a laissez-faire attitude that just says, you know, I'm coming because that's what I'm supposed to do, and I'll be here, and I'll endure the preaching, and then I'll go home, and life will just be like it was before I came. We're going to look at Solomon. Solomon has had his gaze below the sun, and just as of the last couple of weeks and the last few verses, really, he's started to look above the sun. And in this next passage of Scripture, he's going to reference God seven different times, seven times with his name and one time with a pronoun, but he's bringing God into the picture, and now he's going to talk about worshiping God. Let's look at chapter 5, verse 1. Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they consider not that they do evil. Boy, I tell you, he's starting finally to sound like a preacher. The whole book, beginning of the book, he says, the preacher says, and now he is looking at us, he is speaking directly to us, And he tells us some things. He's going to tell us about four or five things in this first passage, uh, this first paragraph down to verse 7. He's going to say, watch your step. He's going to say, listen up. He's going to tell us, now if he was Southern, he'd put it this way, hush your mouth. He's going to remind us to get in our place and to do what you say. Let's first look at watch. Your step. Verse 1, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Where is the house of God at this point? It's in Jerusalem. What is it? It's the temple, the temple that Solomon built. Uh, this is, he's referring to the place that uh, he overlooked the building of. This was the place where sacrifice was made. Um, It's interesting to me, in John chapter 4, verse 21, that's Jesus at the woman at the well, and he, he is talking to the woman at the well, and the woman asks him a question. What did she ask? Anybody know? Where are we supposed to worship? Is it Jerusalem? Is it Samaria? What was the Lord's answer? Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall hear neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem, Worship the Father. He's saying things are getting ready to change. They're not going to be the same. It's not going to be the, uh, uh, the same as it was. Where's the temple now? Where do we worship God? Or, or excuse me, where is the Holy Spirit now? Indwelling. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Know ye not that you are the temple. We don't go to the temple. We are the temple and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. That word keep there in verse 1, the very first word, it just carries this idea of, of guarding, to, to watch out. And so we might say it something like this, watch your step. Be careful how you approach worshiping God. Now you may come in like you did tonight, and you may think to yourself, hey, I'm pretty good. I made it here. I made it here. I'm at least... At church, and if that's true, you're doing better than 50, 53 uh, percent uh, of the country. I, I found a statistic today that said only 47 of Americans go to church. But in that statistic, they lumped in mosques and synagogues. And so, uh, I would say, as Christians, as born-again believers, uh, you're probably in the 80 to 90 percentile in our country just to show up to church on a Wednesday night. You say, isn't that good enough? No, he says, you better be careful even when you come to church. What, what do we need to be careful about? Uh, well, he, he says, uh, keep your feet. It means proceed with not caution, but reverence. And so he says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. Again, it gives how that caution should play out in our life. How can we be cautious? What do we have to do in order to be cautious? It's not a matter of just making sure we don't slip uh, if there's ice in the parking lot. He's not talking about being careful uh, if the handrail's not secured steadfastly. But he says, listen up. He says right here in verse 1, be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. And, and I want to, I we're going to break that down. Both of those thoughts are very important. First thing, I want to take them really opposite order. What is the sacrifice of fools? What do you think the sacrifice of fools could be? I want you to put yourself back in that day, not necessarily what our sacrifice or foolishness may be, but back then what would be a, a sacrifice of foolish? Or a foolish sacrifice. I have two written down. The first one is in 1 Samuel. And you'll know that Samuel had told Saul to wait for him and Samuel was going to perform the sacrifice. But what happened in that instance? What's that? He did it himself. That was a foolish sacrifice. Should have waited for the prophet. Matter of fact, as soon as he finished, Samuel comes up, right? And uh, uh, he is... is, uh, chastised for that. That was a, a foolish sacrifice. It was one in which he didn't have the authority, but it wasn't his place, and he wasn't, uh, it was not pleasing to God. He did it in disobedience to God. So you can do what appears to be the right thing and it not be right. It's all about motive. What is your motive when you come to worship? You can just write this in your notes, you don't have to turn to it, but in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 12 through 17 says, When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Verse 14 of chapter 1 says, Your new new moons in your appointed feasts my soul hateth. They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. You know what he's saying? He's saying that that, that they said they were formed, but their heart was far away from them. It was empty, hollow worship. They were doing all of the right things on the outside, but there was nothing happening on the inside. I think we come to this book and we're looking for ways for it to make us better. I'm going to be better at this, if I just start working on this, I need to focus on, on this part of my life, and I'm going to be better there. I want to tell you, God didn't give us a self-help book. He gave us a book that helps us to know him. We know about him, but we need to know him. He says not only to watch your step, have your right, your heart right when you come in. God wants you to, in this sense, connect with him through the singing, through the preaching. Now buckle up, through your giving, that's part of worship. He wants us to connect with him. Uh, He wants us to to know him better. And and, and boy, if we just come in here and we let the cares of this life, uh, and I'm going to talk about this in just a second, distract us from everything and and we don't get anything, really we've just punched our card here at church. We've not accomplished anything of significant eternal value. Right there in the, the beginning of the chapter, He says, it's be more ready to hear than to speak. Well, he says, be more ready to to hear. Listen up. He says, watch your step and listen up. I heard that one man said he and his wife had words, but he never got a chance to use his. The truth is Jesus would tell people that they didn't just need to hear him. They needed to listen with the intent to do. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Pay attention, don't just let it hit you and bounce off. What keeps us from listening? You tell me, what keeps us from listening when we come to church? What's that? Constant noise. I read or I heard a statistic this week. I don't have the exact number, but it's going in my file somewhere but that the average American touches their cell phone 23, 23 or 2,500 times a day. 2,500 times a day. Now, I don't know how you can touch it that many times if you're holding it the whole time. But that's something like, Brandon, what did we say? Two and a half times a minute? Two and a half times. You set it down, you pick it up. You set it down, you pick it up. You scroll. That's unbelievable. We have a great problem with addiction, the cell phones. And I'm not, d- Listen, don't say, yeah, they have a problem with that. We better look in the mirror and say, hey, uh, what is it that we pick up first thing in the morning? What is it the last thing that we touch at night? What is it that we're scrolling through? Now I'm not saying that cell phones are evil, okay? I use mine. Uh, there's a lot of great uses for it. But if we're not careful, that noise, that cacophony of information, can overload us to where we don't even know how to be quiet. We don't even know what it is to have an attention span. I'm, I'm listening to a, a book right now. A couple, uh, I'm reading one and I'm listening to another one. One of them is, is called the, uh, 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 I can't remember the first name of it, but the Elimination of Hurry. Now, I don't recommend that book for everything that it has to say. Okay. He talks a lot about the Sabbath. But what he does do is sum up the problem very well. He frames the problem perfectly. And it's that we are so busy getting dopamine hits from our phone, from our our social media, from the games that people play and their video games and their, their games on their phone, the mindless drivel, that is almost impossible for us to sit quietly now and hear that still small, quiet voice of God. Let me just ask you, I don't even know. I've never played this game, but he makes reference to, and I've seen advertisements for it. But, but if you reach level 10 million on Candy Crush, is that going to help you at all in eternity? Is that going to help anybody? But if, if you don't know what Candy Crush is, put in whatever it is that's stealing your time. Whatever it is that, that you are investing your time in. It's not an investment, all right? Do you understand? We can say, yes, it's that younger crowd or yes, it's those people over there. But we need to look in the mirror and say, what is it that is distracting me from being able to worship? What is it that that is prevent? Sometimes we have, we're so busy and we are so busy that we're on the go and on the go and on the go. And anytime we sit down, we're thinking about the things that we could have or should have been doing or the things that we have yet to do. Do you, do you know what hurryness is a result of? Just not having enough time. But the truth of the matter is God has given us each 24 hours a day. He's given us all the same amount of time and, and he has given us our priorities and he is not going to give us more to do than what we have time to do. Now the truth of the matter is, I think that we have more time than we think we do because of all these things that just steal away our time and they nip at our, our, our uh, heels and we pay attention. And we let all these distractions do exactly that. Somebody, oh, I can't remember who made this quote, but they said, Satan doesn't have to tempt you to sin. He just has to keep you busy enough not to do right. Well, that's a great that's a great concept because he has us busy chasing our tails. That we come in, we're exhausted. And we're just, I'm not being accusatory. I, I Listen, it happens in my life as well. But I'm saying if we're not careful, we'll just come in and have exercise called church rather than worship God. And Solomon is saying, listen, be quick to hear. James says the same thing, right? be slow to speak? Why? Because we need to hear what God has to tell us. If we're not growing, if we're not being changed by the word of God, I wonder if it's because we're so frantic in this life that we don't let the Holy Spirit guide us. We we know what's right, but he's not he's unable to reach our soul because we're just too busy. We're just too busy. What are, what are some other things that uh, be more ready to hear than the sacrifice of fools? Oh, I, I was asking, what, what are some other things that would keep us from hearing? I think I, I gave several. Does anybody else have any other ideas? What keeps us from hearing? The busyness of life. That was excellent. Apathy, she says. Apathy. Eh. I don't know. I don't care. That's true. God shakes us out of our apathy sometimes, right? We call it trials. That's good. That's good. Well, apathy is not good, but it's a good observation. Anybody else have an insight or an observation? Things that keep us from hearing when we do come to worship? Mm, Just focused on the social. We come here and uh, it might be a Kiwanis club or a Lions club, but it happens to be church, but there's a social aspect. Now, listen, in the Bible it's clear that we are to fellowship. And, And I'm thankful for that fellowship but if that's the only purpose that brings you to church, that, that's, not the right, that's not the right reason. Oh, just being uh, distracted because of, of sin in your life or, she said, being a heavy hearted. Those are all excellent. So there's a, just a, a ton of different things that can cause us to be distracted. But Solomon, with all the problems that he has, he understands this, that when we come, we ought to come with an ear to listen to what God has for us. Calvin Coolidge was one of our presidents, and uh, it was said that he was a skilled and effective public speaker, but in private he was a man of a few words. He was at a dinner, I don't know if it was a state dinner, but, but it was there at the White House, and somebody leaned over and he said, I bet someone that I would be able to pull more than two words out of you tonight. He just leaned over and looked at him and said, you lose. He just didn't have a lot to say. We're not so much that way. We live in a world where we think everybody wants to hear what we have to say. I mean, uh, you can post it on 17 different platforms and you can uh, get a following. You can have a, yeah, uh, you can have a following where, where people inflate your sense of, of I hate to say sense of worth. I'm just saying it's out of proportion. We, we get a, a more of a a uh, self-entitlement mentality. It's called narcissism. And we start thinking that what I have to say is more important than what other people have to say. and So I need to share everything. This happens in Hollywood all the time. I, I don't really want somebody that pretends to be somebody else telling me how to vote. You understand those those actors just pretending to be somebody else in front of a camera think for some reason that they're uh, uh, influence or their opinions are more important than other people's and so they, they don't have a problem sharing that. And all I'm saying is, in our culture today, God wants us to have right thinking about ourselves. Not, not too low that we're in the dirt, alright, because we are made by Him. We are His creation. And if you're born again child of God, you are His child. And, and so we ought to have a right thinking, but we not think higher of ourselves than we should, Paul says. And so Paul is telling us to watch your step. Be careful when you come to the the house of the Lord. Make sure that you're coming to listen. Listen up. Hush your mouth. You don't have to do all the talking. Now, I don't believe what Solomon is saying here is that we shouldn't be praying. I think it kind of goes on. He he gives a little bit of an illustration uh, just a, a, a little bit later. Matter of fact, I'm going to fast forward to it because I don't know if we'll get to it later. But uh, look all the way down in verse 7. It says, from the, uh, from the multitude of dreams. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I skipped where I was looking at. Verse 3. Verse 3 and verse 7 are kind of uh, uh, connected there. Verse 3, he says, for a dream cometh through the multitude of busyness and a fool's voice is known by the multitude of words. And so I think he's going back to being distracted. He's, he's saying, listen, you don't have to be the one talking. There's so much busyness. We just talked about that, that, that sometimes we're missing what God is trying to tell us. And we're doing all the talking. You ever met somebody that has done everything? If, if you went a mile, they've gone two. If they ran a marathon, they ran it faster. Uh, I've heard them; those type of people called toppers before and, and or somebody that always has big plans. Now the word dreams here, uh, I thought it was interesting. I, I didn't expect to see this uh, in, in ancient Hebrew language, but it's not talking about the dreams that we have at night. I really believe it's talking about the aspirations that we have. And, and it says, boy, this guy's got big dreams. And a lot of people do, and they're working hard to try to get those dreams. And as they're working, they're pushing God out to the periphery of their life. But then there are some people that are not busy chasing their dreams. They're busy talking about their dreams. And they're just talking about it, and they're building it up. And one day I'm going to do this, and one day I'm going to do this. But they're not doing anything towards getting it. And so he's kind of given, I think, both the spectrums there. Somebody that is pushing God out because they are busy all the time and somebody that is pushing God out because they have big dreams and one day they're going to do this and God's not any part of it. They've made all their plans and just asked God to put a stamp of approval on their life. Verse 2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven, thou upon earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Don't be in a hurry to tell everybody everything you know. I'm not trying to crush fellowship and discourse. But what I am saying is, find humility and understand what it is to listen. Well, I'll tell you, I'm just going to talk to the young preacher boys in our, in our church just for a second. There are some men that have been in ministry nearly as long as I've been alive. I'm, I'm shocked that there's not a line waiting to talk to some of these guys. And maybe they're not in ministry that long, but they're, they're serving the Lord now. And you say, oh, I don't know what I'd ask them. Maybe you need to go ask them and say, I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> Listen. But then he, he makes that that statement of why we should not be rash. He says, God is in heaven and thou upon the earth. I, I think this this is more of a statement of perspective than it is location, okay? It's been said that God is in the realm of the infinite. I like this quote. He says, he hears the inaudible and sees the invisible. God sees what we don't. He sees your motives. He sees your greatest joys, your greatest fears. He sees what you uh, truly love, what your affections are set upon. He sees all of it. That's not a threat. That ought to be a comfort. God knows you better than anyone, and he loves you anyways. That's great truth. That's a wonderful reminder. But as we as we come to God together to worship him, it's also a reminder that God is God and we're not God. It's a reminder for us to come in humility. James talks about that, too, doesn't he? What does he say? He says, God resists the proud. But what? Give grace to the humble. God wants us to come to him and worship, to listen to what he has for us. I mean, Isaiah had an idea of what it was to be before God, right? I mean, he, he gets himself down and begins bowing. John understood when he saw the Lord. He got down on his knees and he began worshiping. They had a glimpse of who God is. What's your glimpse of God? You ever see a sign or advertisement at a church says casual worship? 930, 10 o'clock, whatever it is. I understand what they're saying. I'm not for it. They're saying leave your tithes at home. But it's not just the dress that they're changing, it's the mentality that they're trying to put forth. Casual worship. Boy, that's the affliction of the church in America today, or churches in America today. Casual worship. You now we need to come and look for that connection with God. We need to come and listen to see what he has for us. Not be so quick to share what we know, but see what he wants us to learn. We need to humble ourselves. And just very quickly, we need to do what we say we're going to do. Verse 4 says, When thou vowest to vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better it is that thou shouldest not vow, than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice? and destroy the work of thine hands. For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there are also divers vanities. But fear thou God." He's just simply saying, do what you say you're going to do. And there's not a whole lot of breaking down we need to, to really do with that passage of scripture. He says, don't make a vow. Now, I used to preach this out of context. This is specifically talking about making a vow to God, but I think the principle, a secondary principle is if, you, if you're not to make a vow to God and break it, you shouldn't be making a vow to anyone and breaking it. Okay? But this is primarily aimed at God. And you know what we do sometimes? We, we say things like, oh, oh God, if you'll, if you'll just take care of the situation, I, I'm going to go to church and, and I'll, I'll get this right in my life. And, and if you'll do this, then I'll do that. But when things are a little more comfortable, we look and say, well, I really didn't mean that. I mean, it wasn't really that big of a deal anyways. I realize this is the Old Testament. This is not talking about the, the local church, but I will tell you, it tells a lot about the character of God that he does not want his children lying to him. You understand that? And when you say to God, I'm going to do this, and you do an about face, I don't know how anything, how to call it anything but a lie. When you say, I'm going to do this, and you don't do it, if you were to tell me that, it would be the same as lying to me. But it's infinitely worse to tell it to your creator, to your savior. And so he says, don't do that. Don't do that. If you tell God you're going to do something, follow through with it. A lot of questions about who that angel is. Let me tell you, I don't think it matters. Whether it's theophany of the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it is an, an angel. Uh, the idea of the, the word there is messenger. Or if somebody, I read something about a, a prophet or, or someone else. It says angel, I think I can go for that. But it doesn't matter who it is because it doesn't change the injunction or the the command. It doesn't change what the outcome is. Now it's interesting to me, Solomon goes back to the whole working of his hands. Remember, we've been to the garden, we've been to the market, we've been to the building places, and, and he's kind of gone through all these different things about the work of our hands and how it's all vanity. And he says one way to make sure that Things are destroyed in your life is to tell God one thing and do another. He says, suffer not thy mouth, in verse 6, to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thine hands? He's still having trouble keeping his vision above the sun. In a sense, he's saying, listen, do all this so that you'll have a legacy. But the truth of the matter is, we're going to have much more than a, a building that lasts or a garden that blooms after we're gone. We'll leave a spiritual legacy for those that we influence and impact in this life. How do we do that? We come together at church, what we would call the house of God. And we come with the intent to worship him with our heart, with our life. And so I'm looking for my list there. So he tells us in verse one to watch your step. Be careful when you come in. Make sure you push away all the distractions so you can hear what God wants you to hear so that you can worship him with your whole heart. Listen up. Listen. What does he have for you? Don't be so quick to speak. Humble yourself. Get in your place and do what you say. I think when you do those things, you will find that God is going to bless you and your relationship with him. You'll come and have true worship. Not in Jerusalem, not in Samaria but in your heart, where God dwells. All right, let's go ahead and take some prayer requests.